0: 1 verses 3 through 6. Please rise for for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. I hear an alarm. (laughs) Sorry about that. It's the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to his purpose of his will to the praise and the glorious grace with which he has blessed us and the Beloved. May we be blessed by the reading of God's Word. You may be seated this morning. You see, this is one of the most pregnant passages in all of God's Word, especially in Ephesians. I, I know we stopped at verse 6 this morning, but in the Greek, the, the, the sentence, Paul wrote an entire sentence from verse 3 all the way to verse 14 this is one sentence it's packed full of theology and i I want to remind us what the book of ephesians is all about the book of ephesians is about the church the ecclesia or or uh, the way that the, the word ecclesia means the called out ones that god called out people to be his church the bride that first and foremost ought to blow our minds that god would choose sinful people to be his bride Think about that for a moment. That when God orchestrated the way he wanted to go about bringing himself honor and glory, he would call out people to become the church. That's what we're here for today. We've been called out by God to be assembled as the people of God for a purpose. We're going to see the purpose this morning in this text. There is the purpose for the church. We'll see that this morning. We'll look at five things this morning. The title of the message is, The Work That He Has Done. Let me say that again. The work that he has done in calling us out. And so he's going to list some things. How and what he did in these four verses. Let's start with verse 3. The first point of the sermon is this. What he's done. What has God done? You see, he's starting, Paul starts out by saying all that God has done. And so what has God done? Let's read it in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. That's the thing that He has done. When God called us out to be the church, the people of God, He called us into Christ Jesus. Look at that. You'll see that nine times in this passage. In these 14, in these uh, uh, nine or ten verses. Nine times he says, in Christ. I could preach just an entire sermon just on those two words. If you think about that, think about that idea that you are now, that God called you out of darkness into light, but the beauty is he didn't call you out of something. He also called you and put you into something. Do you see that in the text? He calls us out of darkness and doesn't just leave us on the street. He now places us in something. What does he place us into? In Christ Jesus. So now you and I, the church, you and I as individuals, are been called out and we're placed in Christ. And what does he do in Christ Jesus? He says this. He has blessed us in Christ Jesus with what? When you have been called out of darkness and placed into Christ Jesus, something happens instantaneously. What happens? The blessing is this. Don't miss this, church. The blessing is this. That he has blessed us with every. You catch that word in the text? Every spiritual blessing. So today, if you're a believer, you have everything you need. Paul says it again in Titus. You have everything that you need for a life of godliness. The moment you're being called out of darkness... Placed in Christ Jesus, you now have everything. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus one day or a hundred days. You and I, we all have the same blessing. We have everything. Amen? And so I'd ask the question, do we walk in the blessing that we have every spiritual blessing? Does my life, does your life show that to the world? I walk around a lost world showing the world that I have everything of a life of godliness. You don't need to, here, catch me when I say this. There's nothing that you need to do to have the blessing that God gave you in Christ Jesus. He bestowed that upon you. Now the part that we get to partake in in that is now that we get to live our lives in what we now call sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming more and more and more and more like Christ Jesus. So where I started as a believer, I don't want to end that way as a believer, amen? But I have everything I need day one. Day one, I have everything I need at my full disposal to live a life of godliness. I beg the question are we doing that church you see because we're not doing that the rest won't matter to us and now the rest is what he says so that's the blessing this is how god blessed us he blessed us with every spiritual blessing so we must ask the question how did he do that how did god bless us in christ jesus with every spiritual blessing This is what he's done. Verse 4. Even as he chose us, the church, individuals, in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a moment. That God foresaw everything. And in his foresawing, he knew that he would predestine us to have every spiritual blessing. It's not by happenstance, it's not by some sleight of mind that God saw you and then he blessed you. He knew it from the foundations of the world that God would choose us, the church, and give us everything. He's known it forever. Think about that, church, for a moment. From the foundations of the world, God has had a plan for us. Think for a moment, church, that from the foundations of the world, God has had a plan for Pau's Chapel. Like today, does not catch God off guard. He knew today from the foundations of the world the good work that he wanted to do in us and through us. Amen, church? So the blessing is he's given us every spiritual blessing. He's known that from the beginning of time, from all of eternity, from the foundations of the world. So those are the first two. We're moving along. And so what is God's desire? We're going to spend some time in the next two points. What is God's desire then, church, for us? If he chose us from the foundations of the world, what did he choose us for? What's his desire, church? His desire says this. From the foundations of the world, he said one desire, two desires. That we should be what? Holy and blameless. I beg the question. Do we church live holy and blameless lives? See, if you're a believer here, you from the moment of your conversion, being in Christ Jesus, have now been set apart to be holy and blameless. You have everything you need to be holy and blameless. And here's how we know that. Because from the foundation of the world, he chose you, chose me, chose the church to be holy and blameless. Are we holy and blameless, church? The the word holy means without sin. We stop there. Are we without sin? I'll get to the other part. I'll get to how we get to be holy. Holy. It's called the imputed righteousness of Christ Jesus. You see, in and of myself, I'm going to live a life of sinfulness. I will always choose sin. Amen? In and of myself, that's where I'm going to be bent towards. I will always choose sin. It's called the fall of man. It's what happened in you and me because of what Adam did and Eve did in the garden. In the moment they ate of the fruit, sin was in them. And now it's been passed on to us and it will be passed on for generations, which means that we need something outside of ourselves to make us holy. See, you and I will never be holy in and of ourselves. I got one that's right. Right? What does God say through Isaiah? God says through Isaiah, your greatest deeds... Your greatest righteousness in and of yourselves is what? Filthy rags. That's frightening. So people live this life that, man, if I just am good enough, if I, I just act right, if I just do these things, then I'll be made right before God. No, you will never be made right before God in and of yourself. You need to have been chosen and predestined before god to have his imputed righteousness in you that's how it happens so are we holy you see the answer is this if you're a believer the answer is yes you don't need to ask the question if you're a believer this morning you are holy according to this passage right is that not what he says He says in verse 4, even as he chose you in him before the foundations of the world, that you should be holy or that you will be holy and that you will be blameless. The word blameless means this, spotless, without a blemish. So how are we to be holy and blameless when yet we carry so much blame in our lives? You see, if you are a believer this morning, there is no shame for us. Let me say that again, because there's crickets in here this morning. If you're a believer this morning, we ought not to carry shame, because we're blameless. You see, what Satan does, he takes our past and constantly uses it uh, against us. Y'all, but do you remember what you did? Do you remember what you said? Do you remember what you saw? Do you remember what you drank? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? You see, his only defense is our past. That's all he has against us is our past because Satan will not use our future against us if you're a believer because our future is set where? In Christ Jesus. He's not going to take Christ Jesus and play that card against you. He'll only play your past against you. And yet, so often church, where do we live? We live in the past. We live what happened last night. We will live what happened the night before, two nights before, two years before. And God is saying, you're holy and blameless. What are you carrying this for? You've been forgiven. You've been set right. Now that doesn't give us the right to continue on in sin. He tells us that. Paul tells us that. By no means, he says in Romans but we look backwards and we don't look at our past. We look at what the cross has done with our past and what the cross has done with our past has made us holy and blameless. So I say it this way and I say it this way cautiously. It doesn't matter what you did last night if you come to repentance And again, that's not the card to go do whatever you want, however you want, because you've been chosen and predestined from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. It's not a past for us, church. But I would beg you to do this. Continue to look at your past in light of the cross, not in light of the wickedness that Satan delivers to you day in and day out. You see, too many of us, as believers, walk around with so much shame and so much guilt that we can't look the world in the eyes and therefore since we don't look the world in the eyes we have nothing to offer them because of our shame and guilt and so if you're here this morning as a believer and you have shame and guilt the altar is open for you and the altar isn't here the altar is here in your heart to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you are in Christ Jesus forgiven holy and blameless amen amen So I beg you, let's live that way. That's what God predestined you for, to be holy and blameless. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Whoever that is for this morning, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Christ has set you free of your past. And so now how did he do this how did he set us free how did he make us holy because it, 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 there's this one line in verse five that if we don't catch we're in trouble it's called the doctrine of adoption you see that you see it, it, if we just stop at verse four we're in big trouble Because there had to be a, how did this all take place? How did I become holy? How did I become blameless? How did I, was I predestined? How was I chosen? It's by this one word. He predestined us for adoption. You see, I I don't want to, I don't want to get stuck on the word predestined. I want to get stuck on the word adoption. You see, the greatest word in this text isn't about predestination, but it's about adoption. You see, predestination is for the believer. If you're a believer, then you understand you've been predestined. The the, the word predestined isn't for unbelievers. The word predestined is meant for the security of the believer. And yet so often the church has used the word predestined for the unbeliever. The church predestined is for the believer to be reminded what Christ has done for you. Don't miss that, church. Don't miss that. And what did he predestined you for? Adoption. I don't think we understand adoption. I think we read the text and we, understand, we hear it and it's like, oh, it's a cute little word. But that word adoption changes everything about all of us. Here's how I know that personal story. I was adopted. So when I come to this passage and I read the word adoption, I get it. Because there was one day when I was walking to school in the second grade, and my name was Todd Donaldson, in that moment, in February the 14th, my name changed. But it wasn't my name that changed. It was everything that came with that that changed. You see that? In that moment, my inheritance changed. Flip over with me to Romans chapter 8. This is how Christ does it. It's through our adoption. And so many of us miss this in the text. Paul says this in... Romans chapter 8. It's about the inheritance of being in Christ. This is what happens when you're in Christ. This is the inheritance that comes with that. But how do we get the inheritance? It's through adoption. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, yet so many of us still walk around with the spirit of slavery. Is that not true? He says this. You've been predestined for adoption. for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into what fear you see that's what being tethered to the world does that's what being tethered to satan does it always brings fear it always brings doubt it always brings the what is it always brings am i really saved am i doing this am i it's all that spirit of fear if we don't realize that we've been adopted not for the spirit of fear but what? That you have received what? The spirit of adoption. And what happens at adoption? As sons to whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness to our own spirit that we are what? Children of God. Catch that in the passage. You are now, if you are a believer, you are a child of God. And what does it mean to be a child of God? And if a child... Then you are heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, proved, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. If you are a child of God, if you're a believer, you are a child of God that's been adopted by God, therefore you are an heir to and with Christ. You and Christ now are brothers in essence. You see that in the passage? If God, the Father, had God the Son, He adopts you, what does the adoption make? It makes you and I daughters and sons of God. Co-heirs, if you will, with Jesus Christ. And co-heirs with Christ means that God will lavish all of His blessings on you and me. But we don't focus on adoption. We don't look at adoption. You see, adoption changes everything. Everything. You see, you and I can go in a courtroom and you and I can stand before a holy God and you and I can be there with Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus can can impute his righteousness into us. But in that moment of imputing his righteousness, you and I are still calling out to God the judge. But the moment that we are saved, we no longer call him judge. We call him what? Daddy. So now we don't have a judge, but we have a father that loves and cares for us. That changes everything. Does it not? So we don't need to look at God the judge if we're a believer. We look at God the Father. And when I look at God the Father, then I don't have the fear of his judgment. I have the great gift of his love, and his love does bring great discipline. But it no longer brings judgment. You see the difference? Because you've been predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters of God, The Father, that's what he's done. I want to read this story. I'll try to make it through. You know I cried. I'm okay with that. It's written by Russell Moore. Russell Moore is uh, part of our Southern Baptist Convention who oversees the ethics. So Dr. Moore is here in Nashville, and Dr. Moore and his wife went over to adopt two children in an orphanage. This is what he writes about his experience in the orphanage. I think so many of us, metaphorically, have done what these two boys have done. says this. The creepiest sound I ever heard was nothing at all. My wife Maria and I stood in the hallway of the orphanage somewhere in the former Soviet Union on our first two trips required us to petition for adoption. Orphanage staff led us down the hallway to greet the two one-year-olds who we had hoped to become our sons. The horror wasn't the squalor or the snitch, snitch, although we at times sniffled and urged to vomit and weep. The horror was the quiet of it all. It was a place more silent than a funeral home by night. I stopped and put it on Maria's elbow. Why is it so quiet? The place is filled with babies. Both of us compared the stillness with the buzz and punctured the squalls. with that came from our church nursery back home. Like they're comparing the two. Like this is not what we hear. Even us, if we walk down the hall to our own nursery, we're not going to hear quietness, are we? They'll come to my house if you don't believe that this quietness that they're comparing. Here, if you listen carefully enough, we could hear babies rocking themselves back and forth. The crib slats gently bumping against the walls. These children did not cry because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, for love. No one ever responded to these children, so they stopped. I wonder, church, if we stop crying out to God. The silence continued as we entered the boy's room. Little Sergey, now Timothy, smiled at us, dance, dancing up and down while holding the side of his crib. Little Maxim, now Benjamin, stood straight at attention like Regor or, or a Tsar-like. But neither boy made a sound. We read them books filled with words they could not understand about saying goodnight to the moon and cows jumping over the same. But there were no cries. No squalls. No groans. Every day we left at the appointed time. In the same way we had entered. In silence. On the last day of the trip. Maria and I arrived at the moment. That we had dreaded since the, the minute we received our adoption referral. We had to tell the boys goodbye. As by law we had to return to the United States. And wait the legal paperwork to be completed before returning to pick them up for good. After hugging and kissing them, we walked out of the room into the quiet hallway as Maria shook with tears. And that's when we heard the scream. Little Maxim fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. It seemed he he knew maybe for the first time that he would be heard. On some primal level, he knew that he had a father and a mother now. I'll never forget how the hairs of my arms stood up as I heard the yell. I was struck, maybe for the first time, by the force of the Abba father cry and the passages in the New Testament, ones I had memorized in vacation Bible school. And I was surprised by how little I I had gotten it until now. Little Maxim's scream changed everything more, I think, than it did the judge's verdict or the notarized paperwork. It was, it was in that moment, in his recognition, that he would be heard, that he went from being an orphan to being a son. Oh, man. It was almost the moment. It was almost the moment I became a father. In fact, not by law. We both recognized that something was wrong because suddenly life had been seemingly terribly disordered. Up until that point, I had read the Abba cry passages in Romans and Galatians the same way I heard them preached. With familiarity. Spiritual equality of an infant cooing papa or daddy. Relational intimacy is surely present in the text. Hence Paul's choice of such personal word as Abba. But this definitely isn't sentimental. Get that, church. After all, Scripture tells us that Jesus' Spirit let out our cries to Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. Jesus cried, Abba, Father, as he screams with loud cries and tears for deliverance in the Garden of Gethsemane. Similarly, the doctrine of adoption shows us that we groan with creation in itself, as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons redeemed for the redemption of our bodies, is the screams of the crucified. You see, adoption changes everything. You, you see, before we are adopted by Christ Jesus, we scream and it's heard by nothing and no one. But the moment that we've been chosen by God and that we place our faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, He becomes our Father. And the moment we cry, Abba, Father, He hears us. And He responds to our cry. You see, that's what happens in adoption. That now we have a Father who sits on the throne of all of creation that we now are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. You see, that's how everything changes. It's because of what Christ did for us. His imputed righteousness allows us to have a father. Amen? You see, without Christ's imputed righteousness, we are fatherless. Get that in your heads and heart. You do not want to be fatherless. You see, if you're fatherless, you're homeless in the grand scheme of things. And you do not, and I do not want to be homeless in all of eternity. That is what hell is. Hell is homelessness. Like I know we see Pinocchio, and we see the story of him going to that faraway land that's a representative of hell, and it looks fun, and they're playing. That is not hell at all, doctrinally. Doctrinally, what hell is, is a separation from God for all of eternity, and it's a separation from everyone for all of eternity but the moment god chooses you and places his imputed righteousness on you at the day of your conversion then you and i now have a home forever and ever and ever let's live that way church and let us take that message to those who are fatherless and homeless Do you not see that? Do I not see that? That those who have not placed their faith in Christ Jesus are fatherless and homeless. They have not been adopted. And we need to tell them there's adoption papers waiting for you. He desires to call you sons and daughters. That's the heart of God. And so we take the message. We don't sit back and read the word predestined. Well, he predestined, so he'll do what he wants to do. No, Romans tells us, you take the message of the gospel to those that never heard. So it's not we sit back in our predestination. It compels us forward to say, let's get them what we have. Let's share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who have not received it yet. Amen? That's what adoption is does for us turn back to Ephesians this is how he did it he did it through adoption now why did God do all this why did God bless us why did God do it at the beginning of time why is his desire for holiness and blameless why did he adopt us do you want to know why he did what he did Do you know why he did what he did on the cross it's right here in this passage you want to know the whole gospel and the reason for the gospel it's right here in verse six he said in the very end of verse five he says this according to the purpose of his will well what's god's will If you come to the passage and it says, this is the purpose of God's will, you've got to ask the question, then what is God's will? When you see that, then what is God's will? Anyone ever wondered what God's will is for your life? Two of us, three of us. Let's try that again. Anyone ever wonder what God's will for their life is? Okay, that's a whole lot more. Well, here's the answer. You want to know what the will of God is for your life. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it bluntly. God cares what your job is. God cares what your future is. God cares a lot of things. But that's not the will of God on your life. In the grand scheme of things, God doesn't really care what job you have. That's not what the text says. Nowhere in the Bible can we read that God's will and what he cares about is what job you have. Here's another thing. God doesn't really care about your happiness either. Okay, crickets. God doesn't care about your happiness this morning. How do I know that? Because when he sent Christ, did you think he thought Christ was going to be happy dying on the cross? Well, if he thought, if his whole will was that, that Jesus would live a whole happy life, he would have never sent him to the cross. You think it was God's will that Moses be happy wandering the desert? That, that wasn't happy times for Moses was it you think it was happiness for Daniel to go into the lions? then that wasn't a happy moment if God only cares about our happiness then the whole old testament would be obsolete would it not if God cared about our happiness we wouldn't read the life of Paul that dude was beat two different times that guy was shipwrecked that guy had a a snake bite him out of a fire those aren't happy moments but this is the will of God what is the will of God? What did he do all this for? The purpose of his will. To what? To the praise and the glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. The will of God is to do two things. It's for the glorious grace of God those words are uh, uh, words of adoration those are words of worship your whole reason that God predestined us as a church is to worship him that's the will of God the will of God on your life is simply this that you would worship God can you worship Him through your work? Amen. Can you worship Him through your family? Amen. Can you worship Are you finding places of worship in all that God has for you? That's the will of God. So whatever job you have, the, the, the reason you have that job is that you would praise and glorify God. And so in the next time you ask yourself, what's God's will? You have to say, is this going to glorify God? And whatever decision I make, because if you come to the end of that and say this will not glorify God, then it's not the will of God. So you want to know what the will of God is? Your first question has to be, will this bring honor and praise and glory to God? And if you say no, then that's not the will of God. Does that make sense? Here's what the Westminster Academy The very first thing out of the gate is what our ancient fathers said. So what's the chief end of man? What's our whole purpose? What the fathers were asking. What's the chief end of man? And the answer to that question is this: man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Not His blessings, not what He gives us, but we enjoy Him, and so we find what Paul says. I, am I my least i find joy right is that what paul says i don't have anything and yet i have joy is what paul says those are my words not his words and so i asked you church this morning what's the great work he has done does it finish with the praise and glory of god because that's what he gets us to That's the reason he has blessed us. That's the reason he set forth all this from all of eternity. That's what he calls us to be holy and blameless for. That's the reason he adopted us and it is our adoption. Therefore, now in our adoption, we can praise God forever and enjoy him forever. You see, if we get this part of the text, and we don't get caught up in some words in this text, the the predestination or the chosen part, and we catch this, then it's going to propel us through the rest of the book. The rest of the book is going to talk about now what is the nature and purpose of the church. If we get that, it's for the praise and glory of God. If we as a church is to praise and glorify God, then this is the rest of the work. This is the application to how we live out being the church. This is how we're going to do it. But we've got to be in a, one accord with this. Is our chief end in this place to glorify God forever. That means every decision that we make. Here in a few moments, we're going to walk down the hall and we're going to put some things on the calendar. Is everything that goes on that calendar this morning to glorify God or to make us comfortable? Is everything that we do, every decision that we make and every business meeting we make is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? You see, here's what I do know about that. The church, we're going to have to sacrifice a lot of preferences. crickets again we're gonna to have to sacrifice a lot of preferences i was just having that conversation with the deacons. there's some things that that i would want to do that i'm gonna to have to sacrifice as the pastor to glorify god it can't be todd's agenda it can't be brother todd's agenda brother frank's agenda the deacon's agenda it's got to be god's agenda and god's agenda is that we would glorify him and enjoy him forever therefore we have to make sacrifices and that's what Ephesians is going to tell us. Are we willing to do that, church? I believe what, out of all the passages that I've ever taught from this pulpit, this is one of the most critical passages that I have ever taught. I really believe that we all, in one accord, come to this place that we're willing to say, man, no matter what it takes, we will glorify God and we'll enjoy it forever and we'll take that glory and that glorification to the lost world. Then I believe that we'll see change that we've never seen before because it's not about man anymore, it's about God. And when it becomes about God, God does amazing things, amen? When it's about His glory, He will do more and more and more to receive His glory from his saints. So I beg the question. As you leave here this morning, I'd ask this question. These five questions. Do you know you are a blessed individual? Are you a blessed individual? The text tells you you are. The second one is this. Do you know that he chose you to be holy and blameless? And do you live that way? Is there anything in your life this morning that you need to confess to God or confess to another brother or sister in this place that you're not holy and blameless? Are you harboring bitterness? You see, if you're harboring bitterness, you're not holy and blameless. And the way to get rid of the bitterness is go through confession. And it's not confession here. It's confession with the one that you carry bitterness with. Do you live a life that shows the world you're adopted as God's son or God's daughter? And the last question is this. Does your life, does my life glorify God and bring him good? Let us pray. This is Jared, comes and plays for just a few moments. I ask you to take an inventory in your life based out of this passage. If none of these things are true about you, I would ask that you sit and repent and receive that forgiveness from the Lord Jesus. God, I'm grateful for this passage of Scripture. I'm grateful that you have blessed me and you have blessed us as believers with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm grateful, God, that you did this at the foundations of the world before the foundation of the world. And that Christ Jesus, because of your life and death and resurrection on the cross, I can live blameless and holy, not because of myself, because of your imputed righteousness that covers me. I'm grateful, God, for your adoption. That you adopted me and gave me a home and a father. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be a co heir with Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for those blessings that come only from you. And God, I pray that we, and that I myself, We'll bring you all the praise and all the glory. God, if there's anything in my life, if there's anything in the life of your people that hinder us from doing that, from bringing you praise and glory, that today would be the moment of confession and repentance. God, I pray if there's anyone in here that Satan continues to use their past against them, to continue to use their shame against them, their guilt against them, that God, this morning, they would leave here free. Because you don't give us a spirit of God. You don't give us the spirit of slavery, God. You give us the spirit of adoption. And that adoption, everything changes. I pray we live by that, God. I pray that you'd continue to use this church in a mighty way. At the end of it all, God, we could every day, as individuals and as a church, we could say, we did all that we could to bring you honor and praise so God, whatever it is in our lives, whatever it is that we hold on to, that we need to let go of and sacrifice, that aren't going to bring you praise and glory as individuals or the church, I pray that today you would allow us to do that. Because you have chosen us, the church. You have predestined us as the church. To be your bride and be a demonstration to the world. Of what your love is. Pray you would use this passage in our lives to bring us hope and to bring us freedom. Pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.